you're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, and I'm your host, Brett Fisher. I'm a DevOps dude, a course creator, and an open source maintainer in the world of container and cloud native DevOps. These episodes are edited down audio-only versions of my YouTube live show that you can join every Thursday at brett.live. This podcast is made possible by my Patreon members. I'd like to thank all of you patrons for your continued support. It means a lot. Your podcast player should have the show notes for this episode, including links to the original show on YouTube, topics or tools we might discuss, how to support this show with Patreon, and links to get discount coupons on all my courses. You can always get those notes and links at brettfisher.com. In this episode, I'm joined by Anka Yurdaka and Dave Scott, both software engineers at Docker. And they both have interesting backgrounds and different Docker projects they've worked on, but now we're focused on Docker Desktop for Linux in this show. And we just dive in. We talk a lot about the origin of Docker Desktop for Linux, why it needs to exist, and how it's different than just running Docker Engine on the native host, because Docker Desktop for Linux behaves like Mac and Windows versions where it uses a VM. So we clear up some of that confusion. We talk about some of the functionality with operating it in tandem with Docker Engine on the host. So you can run both at the same time and use context to switch between them. Now, like the other shows, there are demos. So if you wanna see the demos, go check out the links in the show notes to watch the YouTube live, but it more or less behaves like you would expect Docker Desktop to behave. It's just fun to see it on an Ubuntu desktop. So thanks for listening and let's get into the show. Hello, I am Brett. Thank you so much for my guests on the show today. I'm very excited to have Docker back on the show. We've got there in the middle, Anka Yordake, I'm gonna get that right. And then we've got Dave Scott. Thank you so much for being here, you two. Hello. Hello, thank you for having us. Yeah, and Dave's been around a while. He's a staff software engineer. We actually were just talking. He, he became part of Docker around the time of the Unikernel acquisition, which if y'all don't remember years ago, Docker actually, I think, was that focused on Docker Desktop? That Was that what it was about, the Unikernel? Docker Desktop kind of happened as a sort of an offshoot of it. We used Unicron technology. So like we had a bunch of uh, really good libraries and components and uh, we realized there was a really good use for it in Docker Desktop. And that's kind of how it all started. Okay. Yeah, because I, I feel like I remember something about the networking bits being a challenge. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So we had a lot of uh, people in difficult network environments where they had to use uh, VPNs and then the traffic would get blocked because it, the VPN policy would say things like, oh yeah, it must come from localhost. So we had to launder all the traffic through localhost. And so we needed like a TCP stack. Oh, and, oh actually we had a TCP stack. Here it is. Unikernel had a TCP stack. So we just stick it in there, run it in reverse yeah. and then magic happens. Yeah. We just had this thing laying around. You, you might want to try it. Yeah. <laughs> nice. And Anka, how did you get to Docker? Well, I joined two and a half years ago. Okay. Uh, well, I've been working before mostly on the VM technologies, so containers were something new. So what's the best place to learn about container technologies is to join Docker. Yeah, might as well work there. It's been an amazing kind of period trip, at least from a learning perspective. Very cool. Did you know that you were going to be working on Docker Desktop when you joined, or did you have an idea of your uh role? Well, at the beginning, when I joined, I started to work more on the open source uh, tools. Mm. So I worked for a while on <laughs> Docker Compose. 
right. and some other CLI plugins, but all related to Compose. I worked on the ECS functionality, so basically the cloud capability for Compose, where we want to yeah. be able to launch Compose applications on ECS and ACI. I was mostly involved in the ECS part. And then I switched teams. From time to time, we reorganized a bit the engineering groups based on interest. I thought I will have a lot of things to learn on the desktop side, especially most of the time I was more on the high level uh, part mm. uh, components. So I would like to dive a bit deeper and learn more what is happening on the lower level. It's really, right. it helps me with debugging when I understand what is happening at the lower level. So right. I've been working now for almost a year on desktop. I remember, I think the way we met was we were at DockerCon and you were, I think, on this stream, if I remember correctly, doing a ECS demo with Compose. I, that's at least uh, my memory. Yeah. It was actually the ACI one. And then we, oh, okay. I think we started to work on Compose V2. Right. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, and I'm a big fan of Compose on this show. So we we have a semi-annual uh, Compose show where I just I rant on about all the Compose features. So if those of you have missed it, Compose V2 is pretty cool. You should definitely check it out. I don't think there's a day every week that I don't use it. It's just a standard tool on my toolbox. It's my favorite dev tool. Not that I'm biased, but I may be. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, before actually getting to to work on this, I was. Many years ago, I used to script everything, to write bash scripts, and then they, it was a, a headache just to maintain those scripts to be able yeah. to deploy some stuff. And now I, I don't need to do that anymore. I just need a compose file. So that's why it's my favorite one. Yeah, and the, and you're never done with the bash stuff. Like the, you're going to end up eventually rewriting compose and bash if you keep adding functionality to your dev tools. That's the problem <laughs> with being a developer is that you... It, there's always a point in your career where you start writing your own tools. And then there's that point where you realize you don't got time to write your own tools. The problem was we were wasting a lot of time just maintaining some custom scripts or yeah. custom deployment tools instead of focusing on the actual task we had to do. Right, right. At some so. point, we all got to get to work. Well, thank you so much for being here, both of you. I am excited to talk about this. So we actually had a question before we even started the show, which was basically, why does Docker Desktop for Linux now exist? Which is sort of, this is the celebration show I'm having is like, it exists. Yay, let's talk about it. Dave, do you want to handle that one? Yeah, yeah. So I think it's a very good question because of course, uh, Docker starts as a Linux tool. Uh, the Docker engine is a Linux component and it's of course spawned lots of really great stuff and it's spawned, you know, con uh, container D and it's spawned uh, specs like OCI and registry. And then we created Docker desktop uh, for Mac and Windows to bring it to Mac and Windows. But then we also added lots of extra things, valuable tools, good defaults, lots of nice new features, which you'll see some of. And these features we want to bring to Linux developers as well. So it's like a homecoming for us, really, because like we started on Linux, went off on a journey around Mac and Windows, and now we're back to Linux again, hopefully. Full circle. That's, a, that's actually a pretty good story. I like that. Yeah, because there are, I mean, <laughs> I have to throw into the show, is this the year of Linux on the desktop? Because <laughs> you knew it was coming. Like, I was going to have to say that. But we all, I think a lot of us that are huge Linux fans, there's always a journey. I think everyone is sort of like a rite of passage to decide, okay, I'm going to try using Linux as my main desktop machine. And obviously it's probably, I, th I think it's the most challenging OS simply because there's not one huge giant company uh, that's a juggernaut all constantly adding features. It's sort of a collaborative effort from thousands and thousands of people. It's amazing. It's hard to imagine like tens of thousands of people randomly around the world that are writing the code on your desktop that's 
not related to any one particular company, but that's kind of what the experience is. I, I'm old. So I started with like free BSD and, you know, old days back in Linux kernel, like Linux two kernel days. And those were the days that I remember having all the fun, figuring out how Wi-Fi drivers work in the 90s because it wasn't really a thing. And fast forward 20 years, basically, and here we are. Essentially, I've lost count of the number of friends that their main machine is a Linux desktop. And I don't know what the percentages are, but it's more than it used to be. <laughs> Let's say that. So it sounds like this is a roadmap thing. You all wanted it, but you needed proof from the community that they actually needed it or really wanted it. Is that kind of how it went down? I would say so, yeah, because I think we're all very big Linux fans. So we love to do this kind of thing, but obviously we want to work on things that our users find most useful. So yeah, the roadmap was where it all happened on uh, github.com slash docker slash roadmap. Yes, and I, I definitely wanted to point that out because I don't think we could mention the roadmap too much, but <laughs> it exists. Everybody can check it out. So this is where, I, when I have an idea for Docker and I want them to make it, this is where I go. And, you know, they obviously evaluate uh, all the stuff based on thumbs upping things. So I'm selfish. And sometimes when I have an idea, I will put it on this show to ask everyone on the show who's attending to go thumbs up my ideas. So Linux for the desktop, was it one of the most popular? I, th I feel like there was like, it was like top five or something. Is that true? Um, I think it was. I can't remember where it was in the top five, but I think that was definitely, it's maybe top three, maybe even. Yeah, it had, uh, it's got 281 thumbs up on the main issue and probably a whole lot of people in here talking about why they want it. Yeah, it's just a, it's a standard long thread on GitHub of everyone wishing that it existed and now it does. So yay team. <laughs> so let's talk about it. I mean, obviously not to bury the lead, but everyone, if you have a Linux desktop, you can go download it. It's in the docs. It's available. The link is in the description. Like. It, it, it's been out for what a couple of months, I think, as a beta. Yeah, I, I uh, yes, I think so. Anka, you're the expert, though. I'll defer to you. Yeah, so it's a beta version. So far, we only have a dev package because uh, we are testing it at the moment. But we are going to prepare some additional packages for other distros. The idea was we would like at least to have uh, more targeted distros to be able to identify quickly what are the let's say the bugs or uh, what we can quickly fix. Right. And yeah. Then, Instead of worrying all on the d deployment tooling, you're focused on the product itself right now, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, but so we are going to prepare some new uh, packages soon. But for now, we support only mostly the latest versions of, well, there is also the fact that we rely on quite new technologies for it. So basically, we have decided to keep the same architecture. Uh, that we have on Mac and Windows. So we are going to run the Docker engine inside the VM. There are several benefits for that. It gives us several benefits. First one, and one of the most important that we want to focus on is security. So the additional uh, layer of security that the VM offers. I mean, I don't remember if I've ever really paid attention to the images that I'm running, that I'm using to run containers. So a lot of times we may just go search on the internet something, just copy paste and run a docker run command and just uh, execute it without even checking what that image uh, contains. Right. So right now with a VM, it's kind of, it offers you that security layer. If you're running malicious software 
and there is a privilege escalation. It's just the VM. So the host is not affected. Right. So we can simply get rid of the VM disk and just reboot. We're back in business. Yeah, so that that's, that's a common question, I imagine. It's probably in the FAQ somewhere that just like Mac and Windows, this runs in a VM. It's because we've all, as Linux people, we've all had the daemon and running on the host OS this whole time. So if people needed that, they already have it. So it was an interesting discussion because I remember when you came to the captains and were asking us around, like, how would we like to run it? And there was some sort of input we had initially. And I have no idea if that affected anything. But I think it initially seemed weird that it was going to be in a VM when it's it could be just straight native on the OS. But then you and the team came back and kind of gave us the explanation, and I was totally on board with that. To me, that made complete sense. Yeah, make it identical experience of Mac and Windows, tiny little VM, and I can blow it away. I can reset it. You don't have to worry about versions because you control all that. And I get it. That's a, probably a reason I will have to be explaining to people in my courses and, and in the future because they will say, well, why isn't just a GUI on top of the, the host OS? And then we just sort of get on that road of you can already do that, like the ability to use both yeah. and switch back and forth or something. Yeah. So there are several advantages, not only the security one. Well, it gives us some flexibility in terms of deploying on different distros because we don't have to worry of what of the configuration of the host. So we have a very small set of dependencies and right. that makes it easier to port to other distros. So basically all we need to do is to be able to launch a VM, right. a GMU VM. And basically we don't need root access. Of course, it's just you install it as root, but then to launch it's just as a normal user. Right. Oh, that's a good point. So yeah. I think you kind of answered the question around, do you need systemd operating systems to use this? And you're really just saying like right now, that's the thing you're focused on that during the beta. Uh, yeah, yeah, we have integration with system to, to, uh, to be able to enable uh, Docker desktop to start up in case you want to log in or yeah. So is there a roadmap here that you can talk about in terms of something other than Ubuntu and Debian? At the moment, we are preparing an RPM package. We are testing it on several distros. We need to check also the integration with uh, KDE. So far, we've tested on GNOME desktop. It seems to be okay. It picks up all the files correctly, so we can get a nice uh, shiny icon and uh, the system tray. Okay. But we are still testing on RPM-based systems. And once we are pretty sure it works fine, we can actually update the page with an a link to RPM, uh, to the RPM package. We also plan to add all these packages to our apt and RPM repositories such that you don't need to download them manually. So you, oh, can, you should be able just to do an app, get installed Docker desktop, as long as you have the repository set up. Right. So it's it would be the same repository as you would for the, the engine on the host, right? Yeah. Which yeah. probably... Most people, if they're running Docker desktop on their Linux machines, they probably are using that, not the host uh, operating system apt package, which is probably like, I don't know, Docker oh. 13 or something at this point. Yeah, that, that could be a kind of, we are defining that as a conflict to make sure we have all the right packages to, to be able to run. Yeah. 
So for those of you out there, if you follow the instructions on Docker Docs, you'll be fine because that's one of the first questions that people often get in my courses is, you know, they're like, I'm on this old version. I don't understand why. And I'm like, yeah, you're probably using the wrong package. And please don't jump directly to step two. Go to step one, because I had cases when people said, okay, it can't find, I'm doing an app to get installed. It can't find the dependency, which is the Docker CLI defined in our repository. Well, go to back to step one. <laughs> yeah. So Set up Docker repository. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it's just the standard Linux repository. That's yeah. The so depending on the, the operating system that you use, you have, uh, it's everything documented how to set up the repositories. That's pretty interesting. So the Docker desktop itself doesn't have a dependency on the host engine, right? You can install this without installing the host engine? It runs in parallel. It doesn't, it has no conflict with it. Okay. It's also an advantage in the way that you can switch with the CLI, with the context. So you can switch to use whichever you want. As Very long cool. as you are using the right context, you can target both in, even in the same time, if you run Docker commands and you specify right. uh, the target. So for those that are not used to switching Docker context, that's the, it's just a Docker context command, right? And then I guess that the context for Docker desktop is the same one, like on Mac and Windows, it's called Docker desktop. <laughs> so it's, it's called desktop dash Linux. Yeah. We have a desktop Windows as well, don't we, on, uh, on desktop for Windows. Oh, okay, okay. For mine, on mine, it's always like Docker Dash Desktop. So basically, when we start Docker Desktop, we set it to automatically switch the default, uh, the current context in use to switch to this uh, to Desktop Linux. So yeah, I love that feature too. By the way, like uh, the convenience of that because we've all got a bunch of different tools now and being able to start it and know that it's kind of got me ready to go without having to go and configure a bunch of other things is nice too. So I love, I like that convenience yeah. of Docker desktop. Yeah. It's just that I think that the contexts are not something that many users are aware of, of the functionality that they really enable. So I would need actually to, again, to advertise them in a way that to make people aware that you have this context that allow you to target different platforms. Right. And we see now with desktop for Linux, we get also the cloud capabilities with the CLI and that is enabled by the context types. I think that's when we did that, 2020 DockerCon. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of functionality, I think, that's hidden in context or it's enabled by a context. And at least from a CLI usage perspective, I think there is really a huge problem of user discovering new functionality because there right. is no way, if you add the new CLI functionality, there is kind of no way of informing people, hey, this is a really cool thing. It may solve some problems for you. Uh, so it's kind of hidden. All new CLI functionality is hidden. <laughs> it's just the nature of CLI. And that's actually something that I talk about a lot, whether I'm consulting or whatever, where it's like, okay, I'll ask people, when did you last really learn Docker? And if they tell me it was before like 2018, then chances are there's a whole bunch of stuff they don't know about and they could be using. And I'll often just take that time to say, hey, did you know about Compose V2? Hey, did you know about that you could SSH in your context so you can control remote servers without ever having to set up the Docker TCP port or whatever? That was one of my favorite pull requests of all time, I think, in Docker was the ability to add a context for SSHing into a remote server, which just makes it so convenient rather than what I see a lot of people doing, which is SSHing into a server, get cloning a repo <laughs> and all this extra stuff. I'm like, you don't have to do all that, but you're right. Yeah. And maybe that's a feature request I need to add for the GUI is to like 
change and edit context from the GUI. You can actually do it from the dropdown. You can change your context, I think. No, you can only change your Kubernetes context. I don't have it running. So now we're thinking up new ideas and I'm getting distracted because now I'm going to have to go fill out a bunch of new ideas in the in the roadmap. But you all yeah. heard it. Oh. Go to the roadmap, add some new stuff, add your ideas, <laughs> get some votes. Get some votes. I'll up, I'll upvote that one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We're always looking for new ways to use the GUI and which in this show is not about extensions, but that is another big thing that Docker's announced. Hey there, podcast listener. At this point in the live show, which this podcast comes from, we do a pretty detailed demo getting into a lot of the features and it didn't necessarily make sense to put this in an audio only podcast. So if you're interested more in the tool and how it functions, check out a link in the show note that will take you to the YouTube live that this comes from, and then you can get the full demo there. We're now going to jump back into the conversation after we're done with most of that demo. There's actually a question about using Slackware on non-systemd init scripts. And I guess wondering if there's a way to, to hack it without having to have systemd. So I don't know if you've all tried it without systemd, but... I haven't tried it without systemd myself, but I think if you just uh, run the binary as a regular user, it should just work. I think all we use systemd for really is just that auto start that Anka mentioned. So on login, we use systemd, but that's, it's just a, it's kind of optional. So concerning the... Is there a service that runs in the background when you're not using Docker Desktop? No, no, it's entirely just a, a regular app and it just happens to run the KVM QMU stuff on demand just to start the VM. So it's all a regular normal user space app, nothing fancy, no system services. For things like uh, privileged ports where you need extra capabilities, we just bless the binary with that capability so that uh, whenever it's run, it, it has that, which is a nice thing because on, on Mac, we had to run a service for this. Right. Yeah. And then on, I know over the years, this stuff has changed so much over the years. I know I've, I've seen lots of prompts, prompts and things and warnings and conflicts and all that stuff. Yeah. These are all really, really good and exciting new things that you get with Docker desktop that you wouldn't get if you just installed the engine. I'm not sure I've even enabled the, the beta or the extensions feature or whatever. How do we get, mm. is extensions just showing up now automatically for everyone? Do you know what the status is on that? I think in the very latest builds, it's uh, enabled by default, but there's a feature flag, I think, for okay. earlier builds. I think that's correct. <laughs> I think, I don't know in, if in the latest version of Docker desktop, these are enabled by default. They may be, we need to check, but- Let's see what else we got in questions. Mentioning that the VM names, well, that's in WSL2. Yeah, right. there's no sort of, oh, no, no VM name really, because we just run a QMU process that just uses dev KVM. So it's just a raw VM. So there's no like, we don't use libvirt or anything. So you wouldn't see anything if you used a, another tool to list VMs or anything. You see processes, you can do activity monitor or whatever, and you can PS and you can see it all there. But yes, unlike on Windows where we have to give everything a name and then people can see them and sometimes they uninstall them by mistake or so it's yeah. easier. System the integration. We are using actually also something called Deb Helper that should set up the service on non system D. But again, we need to test that a little bit. <laughs> so cool. you should, uh, I mean, everybody can give it a try, can test it and see if there are any issues. We can try to go and see if we can get the fix for them. All right. One of the other questions was, oh, and I didn't realize that this is a busy week. Node.js had a major release this week. 18 just came out with Node.js. Uh, I was waiting on the Ubuntu Jammy to be official because this is kind of the month they normally do it. And so James is mentioning that Jammy Jellyfish just 
released. So now we have uh, Ubuntu 22.04. I guess, how closely do we work with the distros and their roadmap? Do does this? Have you tried this on Jammy? We've tested it on the latest version of Ubuntu 22.04. Uh, I think we had a few users that raised some issues on the roadmap that it wasn't working. So we, we found out why we fixed it. And hopefully the current package that we have in the on the beta page, it should run on the latest version. So in case you have any issues, you can there is GitHub repository that we dedicated for our desktop for Linux for issues. So you can raise the issue there and we'll try to uh, have a look at it as soon as possible. Okay, so that was actually a question. So for people that are testing this and if they have issues, they go to the roadmap issue or where do they put this? We would prefer the uh, repository called uh, github.com slash docker slash desktop dash Linux. Okay, so this so, is actually matching the other ones, right? Because well, there actually, is a there's a I Mac think. OS and a Windows one. So yeah. basically, you, you go there and just raise the issue. We have a few users that are testing it and raising an issue for whatever they find that doesn't work. So we are going to watch this repository. Perfect. I put so, that link for everyone. Hey, audio listener. It turns out we did another demo. So this is where we cut that one out too. Currently, I'm using dev build. So we have everything by default you know, enabled. So it's something that will come up uh, in the following weeks. So this is why here you'll see extensions. All right, the question. Uh, so K Kubernetes works the same way as it does on uh, Mac? Yes, it's identical. I mean, uh, the main goal of Docker Test for Linux was to give it the, an identical experience as on Mac, you know, the same ease of use. Okay, other questions. So uh, ARM64 support, what's the story there? I think the, the devs are currently Intel, aren't they? Is that right? Uh, we are testing some things. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think it builds, it builds okay. It's just we haven't yet, we haven't got concrete plans just yet. Is that right? Okay. We don't have plans yet. It's just that even as for testing, we don't have really development machines that we can use, I mean, as a replacement for all. You'd have, yeah, I guess so, you're going to need to buy the whole team of Raspberry Pi, the, the ones with this, was it 16 or 32 gig of RAM or whatever you can get them now. <laughs> I have one in the closet, but it's, I, I'm not sure how well it's going to do running Docker desktop. It's not quite, it's a, not a Raspberry Pi. That's really great. But, you know, I hear that Microsoft laptops are going to come with new hot Snapdragons sometime in the future that are going to be faster than the current ones. Cause I think that's one of the problems. I'm not a. Windows ARM expert, but we're going to have to wait on somebody other than Apple to make a really awesome ARM processor, I think, before we'll see an uptick in that. I'm voting I, for it. I want the Windows world and the Linux world to have the same awesomeness that I'm having on this M1 next to me where it has no fan noise and it lasts all day and it's pretty fantastic. Yeah. And all, all the images are multi-arch already. Everything's ARM64 underneath multi-arch. Yeah. So I think we're pretty well, you know, positioned. Prepared. Yeah. As, as, soon as soon as the hardware is available, we can all get these lovely Windows machines and uh, we'll be on it. Yeah. In fact, if we just go down that rabbit hole for a second for the question about ARM support and like my favorite Linux desktop is Mint Cinnamon and they don't have an ARM variant right now. At least last time I checked, there's still, obviously there are ARM Linux desktops that exist, but it's one of those things where I think the whole community is kind of, I feel like we're all waiting on really great hardware. And then once we get that really great hardware, the demand will be there and then everyone will want to work on it. Cause I'm one of those many people that are like in the GitHub repos for all these tools in the, in the, I'm just like pasting into the issues. Where's arm support? Where's arm support <laughs> Add arm support. And I'm not smart enough to actually do the PRs and all these tools, but there's a lot out there that I feel like we're still missing arm support for. So it's 
And I know, like, every Docker tool I know of works on ARM. So it's just a question of getting some of the requirements there, like good hardware. I'm hoping. I'm going to put that in the issues. That's another issue. Everybody, I'm, next week is going to be an upvoting issue week. We're just going to have all the GitHub issues that in the roadmap that I've created that I have not seen done, and I'm selfish. Like, I want the drop-down button to disable Kubernetes without having to go into settings. That's something I really want. I want to be able to turn on and off. We have the pause now, which is great. I, I use the pause daily. Pause is my favorite new feature. I'm assuming pause is in the Linux version as well. Yeah. And I didn't know this. I didn't know this, but the way I was asking it in the Slack chat, evidently the pause feature uses something with namespaces. Like it actually uses Linux functionality. And I was always thinking it was something built into Docker itself, into the actual binary, but it sounds like it's more about Linux itself. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. It's a lower level tool. It uses uh, C groups and the C group freezer. So it, it, it's a bit complete oh, to get, okay. yeah, to, to get everything that's required and to not uh, burn CPU. Everything is moved into the freezer and then it's defrosted again when, when you're on. That's a great analogy. I like that. The freezer. You mentioned that earlier, but to see it and to think about it, to be able to choose which engine I'm running in each command and to i'm not sure why i would switch back and forth but you know maybe once i have docker desktop i'm not sure why i would care about running on the host maybe it's in certain cases it might be faster but we're doing and you're doing the same bind mount right stuff so it's yeah. bind mounting across the vm i'm a mac person so i'm very passionate about the work that you all are doing so much on the virtual file system drivers and all the stuff from mac that's making it faster across that os boundary because that's I think that's like one private to me, that seems like one of the hardest challenges for you all besides networking is getting the file performance across different OSs to act native. What is that like in Linux? Is that better on Docker and Linux on Linux? Is that a, is that an easier time for you? Oh, we are using the same technology with PyFS to share files between weeks. So far from our tests, from our benchmarks, it's much faster. Well. In general, for me, the Linux machines are much faster when compiling stuff than on Mac and Windows. So okay. from the test, it's indeed it's, it's much faster. We try to compare with the local engine because that's kind of the reference point right. <laughs> for us. So we are trying to improve the performance of uh, Docker desktop. And we really here, we are looking at the performance of, of the local engine. And we are trying to achieve that one. So far, let's say the impact is very small, the, the one that we noticed from our tests, but we haven't tested it with that many software stacks. So maybe it depends on the software stack, whatever they are uh, exercising, we may find ways it may be slower in some cases. We can look at those cases and understand why and improve. I'm looking through the roadmap issue for this because there's so many comments. <laughs> there's so many people talking about this in that one thread. It seems like with me on the roadmap issues, like the, the minute there's a change in anything with the performance stuff on any of the OSs, there's uh, a, a dozen people that show up eventually, like within a week or something that are all doing benchmarking to say on my project, I get this many seconds. And on my, you know, cause I know that's happening a lot right now on Mac. I tend to follow a lot of these roadmap issues because I, I support people using Docker desktop. I use Docker desktop and I really care about that stuff. And I know it's happening a lot on the Mac side. So I'm guessing there's already people in there on the uh, Linux side saying, so help them out, take your project, do the performance comparison, give them stats so they can understand what they're dealing with. And lots of different software has different size of side effects of running in multiple OSs or across the OS boundary. Yeah, so I, I think that these users are, I see them as like our favorite users because they are <laughs> helping us really to cover many different corner cases. So they are really great. 
we are grateful for all the feedback we get like that. Is the plan like when you're now when you're releasing new versions like what we, was it 3.7 that just came out? Is that the latest? 4. 4.7. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I remember it was a 7. So when that came out, that's going to be the release cycle is going to be in parity with all three of them, I, I guess, at this point, or that's yeah. your goal. Yeah, uh, it is easier to, to manage from our side to have the same version for all three. Yeah. Is there anything special about running both versions on Linux or I guess maybe asking why? <laughs> Once you have Docker Desktop, why would you still run it natively? If there could be a niche thing like if you had a particular hardware device that you wanted to map into your container and that maybe wouldn't work with the VM. And so it'd be, it would just work with the native engine. So there might be the odd niche. Yeah, I do see those feature requests from Mac as well sometimes where they, people want to mount in hardware. And so that's like an, that's a sort of an argument for getting a Linux machine and just doing it on the, the bare metal host. So when people file bug reports on Linux, it's the same process, right? Like they can go through the menu and they can get the troubleshooting GUID, I think is what it is, right? And then they put that in their support request or their GitHub issue. Yeah, that's right. It's perfect. And then that include the logs. We can look at the logs and it'll hopefully be straightforward to spot what the problem is. I, I think... I, since it's not quite released yet, there'll be a few glitches. Some really nice functionality is also dev environments. The main idea with dev environments is to containerize the entire, all your dependencies and all the, the way you develop your application. So everything runs in a container. You, in that container, you have your source code, you have your dependencies and everything you need to build your code, your application. And at any point in time, you can basically send you can share that instance with colleagues or with other users that would like to see the current state of your application. So it's quite a nice, a nice feature, especially if you don't want to pollute your, uh, your host with uh, installing, uh, I don't know what, libraries, uh, specific versions and so on. Like that, everything is containerized or you can change versions for, uh, for the software without uh, having to worry about corrupting your host OS. Yeah, I, we haven't talked a lot about dev environments on the show yet. The dev environments is an interesting workflow change for teams that are having to deal with stashing their changes, switching branches, someone else pushing an unfinished branch that they have to jump to. And I'm becoming a fan of the GH command line because it actually lets me check out pull requests without a whole lot of effort, which was always a pain before. But this is an interesting option for that workflow where you can leave your stuff alone, not have to go and reclone someone else's version of the app on a different location. You can just pull it down and let sort of Docker take care of it for you. We probably need to have a show just to talk about dev environments in the future of that, because I know that there's a lot of ideas about where that's going to go. So the idea was also with the QB installation was to give developers an easy way just to focus on your application, developing it, creating your uh, images, and then just deploy it without having to worry about how do I set up my cube cluster? How do I forward my service uh, ports to my local host to be able to access them easily? So this is really facilitating that just focus on development. Yeah. Okay. So what's the next OS? FreeBSD? <laughs> I have someone, I think, asking about FreeBSD or any BSD. I used to use FreeBSD as well. I, I have fond memories. Yeah, any plans on Docker for BSD? That's been a question for years about a FreeBSD or what is it, NetBSD or something like that. There's a couple other ones for building Docker engine for those. And I think that there are unofficial image or builds, but I don't know that Docker has one, right? Like, I don't think Docker has yeah, an official. nothing official, I don't think. Yeah. And the question about dev environments, is there anything required to spin up a dev environment other than the Docker files and code? Actually, when you try to 
started the environment, you would you will see the what are the requirements there. It will try to detect if you have Git installed, and there is also the integration with VS Code, and it will check that you have VS Code installed, and there is some other VS Code extension that needs to be installed. But everything is very it's a very guided installation. I mean, you will see there if there is right. any dependency that is missing, and you'll be provided with. I think it's a direct link to where you can set it up to how to set it up quickly. Right. So it's just a matter of a few seconds to have this up and running. Yeah. So you can... Very cool. I definitely need to spend some time on extensions, which is just like that brand new thing. And then dev environments, I think I need to take a second look because it sounds like yeah. the, the tutorial, that stuff that is uh, new to me. So having more guided experience is pretty cool for the, the dev environments. Another thing that I think it's important just to mention, but before we were talking about uh, Compose V2, you may know that on Linux, you need, basically you need to install it yourself uh, if you really want to use the latest version. So for desktop, we are going to ship only Compose V2 and we are uh, basically enabling some setting that will allow you to easily integrate with V1. And by that, we mean if you want Compose V2 to act like the Compose V1, in mm -hmm. the sense that if you want to call it docker-compose instead of docker-space-compose, you can just go in the settings panel, enable, apply and restart. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty neat. So, it's a pretty elegant way to make sure you're not just screwing up everyone's because, I mean, if people are on Linux desktop today, I guess I'm saying, they probably are running Docker and Compose already. They've learned their process. They might install Compose with pip, and they're probably using the Docker uh, app packages to install Docker. So it's it's an assumption, I'm sure, that you the, the team is making that you're, you're already going to be installing it on top of an existing Docker, but it's intended clearly intended that they're both supposed to run at the same time or able to run at the same time. So just to, to wrap up for everyone, this is Docker Desktop for Linux. This can run in parallel with any Docker Linux you're already using. And it all runs in a VM so that you can use the Docker context commands to switch back and forth. And it gives you all the features that you get in Mac and Windows now. So I think all of the wishes are now for Linux are now complete and we get to all move on to something else and watch what cool thing Docker will make next. Thank you so much for being here. I'm just going to remind people the way you're saying if they want to try this out, they get that in the Docker docs and then that link is below. And then if they want to get support or they want to file a potential bug, they're going to go to a different repo than the roadmap that I keep talking about. That's it's actually a desktop dash Linux repo. And if you didn't know for Docker desktop, there is an actual GitHub repo for each one of them, Mac, Windows, and now Linux that has, that's where you can file bug issues, not feature requests, but bugs <laughs> in those repos. And, but, and if you want a feature, you go to the roadmap. Do, did I say all that correctly? Is that? I think okay. so. That sounded good to me. I passed the test. Great. <laughs> I almost know what I'm talking about. So we did have a couple of last equipment questions. Are dev or beta build channels coming back to Docker desktop or what is the beta? What is beta in Docker desktop mean? Or is that even a thing? Yeah, we, we the features have different labels. Sometimes it's experimental, like on the Mac, the VirtuOS is labeled experimental. And that just, it's about that particular feature. The whole application is stable, but that particular feature is labeled as, uh, temp as temporarily unstable. And so these beta features are just kind of, they're just early in the cycle. So we're still adding things to them. And it's a really good time to provide extra feedback. And also highlighting this new, you see the beta label and you go, ah, that's a new thing. Let me try that and see if it works. And then 
give us some feedback and we can still make quite big changes to it because it hasn't quite, we haven't labeled it as fully GA yet, that feature. Okay. And so when you talk about, let's imagine a feature or we talk about extensions or whatever these, some of these beta things that might be there now. Uh, I know like for on Mac, we have the Virtuo FS or whatever it's called. That's a feature. Are these all in the settings under experimental? Is that how people get the beta? Essentially, they're going into the experimental settings? I think some of the, these beta ones are just uh, labeled as beta in the main UI rather than okay. sort of putting them in a separate section. We've, we want to make them more discoverable uh, to make sure that people actually know what's coming and can try them. So we've put them front and center in the main UI and just put the label saying beta. Right. So there is technically not a beta download of Docker no. Desktop in general. It just so happens that right now, Docker Desktop for Linux is in beta, but it doesn't mean that they need to like switch to a stable channel later. Because some of these people are probably remembering the Edge days. We had Edge. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I remember that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Linux is in beta, but I imagine it will just upgrade nicely to the G8 version when we publish those devs in the repo. Okay. Another question was, how easy is it to get into the developer preview program? Let's talk about that for a minute. Isn't it, is it the Docker desktop preview? Pro I'm trying to remember, what is the Docker community program for stuff? Yeah, I think that's it. I think asking on community Slack is probably the the way in there, I think. I think there's a, I think there's a channel on community Slack. I would ask in hash general, and hopefully we can see that message and got the right person. Yeah, okay. I think that's what this is what they're talking about. Not technically exactly related to Docker desktop, but the developer preview program. And that's, James got it right. I was forgetting what it was called. I am in there just because captains get in there, I think, but it looks like there's a button on oh, the website, button. which, yeah, Perfect. which takes you to a Google form. Yeah. Our mission is to be developer obsessed. Yeah. So there's a nice little blurb there. So I, I don't know if you all see these requests or if you're involved with these at all, but yeah, you get into a Slack chat, essentially a, a private Slack room that you can provide feedback and be a little bit more, have a little bit more access inside of Docker if you want to fill out that form. But I guess the answer is we, neither one of you involved with that, so they don't, you don't really have the answer to that. There is a desktop Linux dedicated channel on the community Slack. It's docker-desktop-linux. So they can go there as well. It's public. It's a public one. So we have the community program that allows you to get into Slack. So for those that want to get more involved, you got the GitHub repos. You got this Docker community Slack that you should sign up for. That's totally free. And then once you get in there, there is the docker desktop linux channel that you can join and then if you want to even go a step farther and join the developer preview program that g gets you sort of a little bit of insider access to the docker team and all the other uh, products and they basically every once in a while they'll do like a survey or uh, ask for feedback on stuff so that's another way to get deeper into the community before you decide to start your own meetup and become one of the community leaders which you can also do and i know they're working on that program now because they they keep talking to us in there so if you want to start a meetup that's another way to get involved and then come to DockerCon. i feel like i'm playing docker marketing today so why not DockerCon.com takes you to the DockerCon sign up page i'm going to be talking there and it's actually going to be two days they're going to have a workshop day and then there's a bunch of talks on the main day the main DockerCon day so come and join us well, thank you to both of you so much for being here and I look forward to seeing, I'll see you at DockerCon and we'll all be in the chat there supporting and so you all can come watch our videos and then we'll answer questions. Thanks everyone. Thanks Anka, thanks Dave for being here. See y'all next week. Ciao. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you in the next episode. Mm -hmm.